0: Whenever I come across something that brings me excitement or joy, I have a hard time keeping quiet about it. Sometimes it's out of pride of an accomplishment or goal that I'm working to achieve. Sometimes it has nothing to do with my own accomplishment, but the accomplishment of an individual or a team that I follow. Um, so this past week, uh, my favorite sports franchise um, St. Louis Cardinals clinched a playoff spot. They are back in the playoffs after three years of absence. Swept the Cubs four games in a row at Wrigley Field. Stuff like that. (laughs) Other times it's something that I believe will be a great benefit to others so that I just have to share it with them whether it's solicited or not. Now I get some of these things are a bit trivial. Like you probably don't Want or need to hear me go on and on about bicycling or baseball or that new folk band that I can't stop listening to. But if it's something that I believe would have a profound impact on your life, even just for a short period of time, then you can bet that I'm going to tell you as much as I can. So, how much more should we be doing that when it comes to matters of eternal significance? This morning we're going to continue in our series on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to be picking up in chapter 5, verse 12, through the end of the chapter. And in it, we're going to find that even in the midst of many obstacles, the early church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was an unstoppable force that could not be kept quiet. I want to invite you to turn into your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 12. invite you to follow along there, and you can follow along on the screen. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one, dared, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. In this section of the text, we get a window into what some of the gatherings of the early church looked like. They met at Solomon's Colonnade, which was one of two colonnades that surrounded the temple area. Now, when we think about the temple in this day, it's easy for us to imagine a building that's not unlike the one we're in now. Perhaps your imagination is a little bit more creative than that, and you're thinking about something a bit bigger and a bit more ornate. But the temple wasn't just a building where people came to worship. It was more like an entire section of a city that covered dozens of acres. It was a very culturally and religiously significant location in Jerusalem. So this is where the apostles gathered. This is where people would come. It was a very public location, a place where people were already accustomed to gathering and they would gather together to hear the apostles preach about Jesus and to receive healing. Verse 13 and 14 have this interesting aside that says, no one else dared join them. Now how could this be the case when we keep reading more and more were added to their number in that next verse, in verse 14. And the point here seems to be that the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 4 scared off all but those who were completely committed. And so people, they would gather together. They would hear reading from Scripture. They would hear Peter preach about Jesus being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And we see specifically in this text that people would come to receive healing. So much of Jesus' ministry on earth involved physical healing, and we see that continuing to play out in the ministry of the apostles. Well, naturally, with all of this happening right in their backyard, after already arresting Peter and John previously, the high priests and his associates once again have the apostles arrested. We're going to continue in our text, picking up at verse 17. Then the high priest And all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. The full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent them to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This section of text sounds very familiar to what we read a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 4. You might recall that in that chapter, Peter and John are preaching about Jesus. They get arrested, and upon their release, they are told, do not continue to preach in his name. Yet again, here we see Peter and John and the other apostles went right back to what they had been doing. This might appear to us as foolish, but nevertheless, they were persistent in their desire to tell others about Jesus. So they ignore the warning. They go back to the temple to heal and to preach. And once again, they get arrested. They're held for the night, but at some point, an angel of the Lord comes, lets them out, and tells them, go back to the temple and preach about Jesus and the resurrection life. So instead, they have this opportunity. They they can return to the safety of their homes. They could flee from the city, but they go right back. And as you can imagine... This didn't please the Sanhedrin one bit. Let's continue in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put aside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, he will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. On their second appearance before the Sanhedrin in this text, the apostles found themselves an unexpected helper. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He was a very well respected and beloved teacher of Jewish law. And when the Sanhedrin seemed likely to resort to measures of extreme violence against the apostles, Gamaliel intervened. His argument was simply hey, We've seen this type of thing before. You know, there was Theodos and, and Judas, the Galilean. They called people to follow them. They claimed to be Messiah-type figures, and it never amounted to anything. Just let it go, because if what they're teaching is not of God, but it is of man, then it's destined to fail, just like these other people. He goes on to say, but if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. And if it is of God, then you will be exercising your free will against God's plan. Now, I don't think the Sanhedrin agreed with this assessment, but nevertheless, Gamaliel seems to have at least convinced them for now that it wasn't worth executing the apostles. So they heed his advice, they order the apostles flogged, and then they release them, again, ordering them not to speak in the name of Jesus. The apostles are released, and they leave rejoicing in their suffering for the cause of Christ, and once again... They continue telling others about the good news of Jesus in the temple courts, houses to houses. They do not cease. What we see here in chapter 5 of Acts is so incredibly inspiring. We see Peter, with the power of the Holy Spirit, bring physical healing to those in need. We see the apostles continuing with courage and boldness to share of the salvation, transforming, resurrecting power that is offered to all through Christ and we see that they refuse to keep silent even at the risk of physical persecution against them, bravely rejoicing in the opportunity to join with Christ in the earthly suffering that he endured. If there's anything that we've learned about the apostles now, just five chapters into the book of Acts, it's that this group is bold, courageous, persistent, transformed, and unstoppable. The apostles that we see Five chapters into Acts look incredibly different than how we see them in the biographies of Jesus. And that's because their lives have been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. How has your life been transformed? Does your life reflect the characteristics of the apostles that we see in this text? The apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we too need to be filled with God's Spirit. This is the foundational and most primary quality of what Peter and John were bold in what they proclaimed. It is obvious that they have seen something that inspired them on the deepest level and they could not keep quiet about it. The chief of the temple police and some Sadducees arrested them, threw them in jail again and again and again, but already 5,000 people had bought in and believed the message that they proclaimed. And the reason that Peter could do what he did and say what he said is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot live out the Christian faith on our own and with our own strength. When the very first church was at its foundations in the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, tells a crowd of thousands at Pentecost, to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We all have different stories when it comes to finding our hope in Christ and trusting in Jesus. For some of you, it happened at a young age and has always been a big part of your lives. For others of you, it maybe happened later in life. Maybe you're returning back to a faith that you knew as a Christian, as a child, and have wandered, but are coming back. Some of you are still unsure, and you're here because you're exploring and you have questions that you're looking for answers to. All of these stories and all of these situations are valid. There's not a prescribed or uniform path to finding faith in Jesus. But one thing that is common here, starting with John the Baptist and carrying through Peter's teaching, is the call for people to repent and to be baptized. And we are promised that we will receive the Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful purposes of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate our minds and to help us understand the truths of God's word. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we may grasp the information but we will not experience the transformation that only he can bring. We see this in the life of the apostles. Just look at Peter. In a matter of weeks, he goes from denying Jesus to being somebody who cannot keep quiet about the resurrection. This life that we are being invited into as followers of Christ, it's not just about singing songs and hearing a message on Sunday mornings but it's about going out and living it out every day of the week in our homes, in our communities, in our places of work. We might leave the walls of this building inspired on Sunday, but unless we are filled by the Spirit of God, we will not be able to live out our Christian faith in this world. God wants to provide supernatural insight, wisdom, understanding, and power for living, and it comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. The other way that we can live this out, and you've heard it said here many times, and that's to spend time with Jesus. And not just to spend time for the sake of spending time, but spending time with Jesus with the goal of becoming more like him. During announcements this morning, you heard Rick talk about the annual meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. During the worship service on that Sunday, John is going to spend some time casting vision for this upcoming ministry year as we continue with our mission statement to love God and love others. We want to be a church that is encouraging and equipping you to grow in your affections towards God and to those around you. And when we follow the example of the apostles, we can see how they were able to be so effective in the foundations of the Christian church. In Acts chapter 4, we read this two weeks ago. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so we need to take a lesson from Peter and John. And we need to spend some time with Jesus. Now, how can we do that? We can spend time in his word. It's one of the ways that he communicates with us. We can spend time in prayer. We can talk to God and take time to listen. We can spend time worshiping together as a church community. We can get connected to a growth group. We can find an area to serve in the church and in the community. When I was a kid, I was so enamored by my favorite athletes that I would study their mannerisms. I would meticulously watch their mechanics. I would follow their routines so that when I stepped into the batter's box or walked up to the free throw line, I would look just like them. So I would take what I was observing and I would put it into practice, either in a game or when I was playing ball with my friends. And, you know, my friends, they would have done similar things and we would help each other to perfect those little nuances that we were missing on our own. We need that because there are things that we just can't clearly see from our own perspective, I might think that I have everything together, but I need people in my life. We need people in our lives that are able to say, you know, actually, your form's a little bit off. And so if we want our lives to reflect the character of Jesus, then we need to spend time with him and spend time with others who are striving to live similarly. So here are two questions that I want to leave you with this morning. What's stopping you? And what's the next step that you need to take? Maybe you need to spend more time with God this week. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to repent of and move away from. Maybe you've been thinking about getting baptized and putting it off. You know, normally we do our baptisms over the summer, but if this is a step in your faith that you are ready to take and you know that that's the next step and it's the time to do it, let's make that happen. Maybe you need to connect to a growth group. Maybe you need to find a place to serve. Any of these things, if they sound like the right next step for you that you need to take, I want to invite you, encourage you to write it down on your connection card this morning. Get in touch with one of the pastors here, and we'd love to help you make that next step. So, what's stopping you? Let's pray. God of love, in Jesus Christ you gave yourself to us, so may we give ourselves to you, living according to your holy will. Keep our feet firmly in the way where Christ leads us. Help our lips speak the truth that Christ teaches us. Fill our bodies with your spirit and with the life that is Christ within us, and it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.